0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and
1: principles of leadership. Welcome to Episode 73 of the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and you're about to hear a very timely conversation. In the last episode, we heard from Kerry Bolton, who talked all about the importance of creating a sales mindset. That is, thinking big enough to develop our business in a way so that it's not only valuable with you slaving away in its bowels, but that it's structured and organized so that it has some value on the open market. And in a neat little progression of that same topic, My guest in this episode is Stephen Barnes, who is an expert at turning around businesses from spluttering labor-intensive stress factories into high-performing, high-value machines. At this time of year, when we're full of enthusiasm for the opportunities ahead, Stephen has arrived on the scene to talk us through the top five things we must have organized, spick and span, in our business to ensure that we're flourishing. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Stephen Barnes. Stephen Barnes, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, Stephen. And I have to say, this is great timing. We're at the beginning of a brand new year. It's a time when a lot of us are reassessing our goals and our purpose. And here you are. You've come along to give us a free consultation on how we can run our business better. So good timing, mate. Thanks for coming along. Now, the way we're going to do this, Stephen, is you're going to tell us what are, according to your extensive experience, the top five things we need to make sure we've got sorted in our business to ensure that we're flourishing. So the top five And of course, you're going to give us some hot tips on how we can improve those things in our business. But before we get into that, I'm intrigued by your time working with some of the most profitable family businesses in Australia. Without getting into specifics, because we'll get into those soon, what did you notice, Stephen, when you were working with those those high profit, those high value individuals and businesses in terms of style and mindset and habits that many of them shared and, and made them successful?
0: Well, I think the first thing is that they're not really any different than a small startup business. The same pressures, the same thought processes, the same things that they're looking at and thinking about are exactly the same as those small businesses. So I think that's the first sort of thing that you, that I noticed uh, working with them.
1: Well, just the same as
0: you and me. Just the same as you and me. They've got the same issues at home as you and I. They've got the same sort of thing. The only difference is that they've got a lot more money.
1: <laughs> and does that make, does that lighten the load in any way? Does that release the pressure in certain parts of their life?
0: It can do. Um, where I found it made a difference was um, some of the things that you or I would have said that we would have just done, they go, well, actually, we can spend our time doing something else, and which we find is more valuable to us.
1: So, And, and get someone else to do that or just not do some things at all? Or just not do it at all. So, for instance, I had
0: one of the businesses that I, I looked after for a, a group was um, a cafe, which was not making any money and losing a little bit of money each year. And I put a, a plan to them about how to turn that around and increase the footprint, get a liquor license, and do some other things with that business and turn start into
1: selling grog. That's a great place to start. <laughs>
0: yeah, and um, it, it would have made quite a lot of money. But, you know, their response was, well, you can stay in the office and we'll make more money by you being in the office doing other things than being out there focusing on that cafe.
1: Right. Good. All right. So so that's what we've learned about Mm -hmm. from those high value individuals. They're just like you and me except they've got a bit of extra money and they're good at deciding what not to do. That's, a, that's yeah. a good lesson. What else? I don't want to strangle this as a topic, but it does intrigue me, the, the experience you've had there. What else did you notice about those who have been highly successful in business? What, what qualities did they share?
0: They're usually quite reclusive. They don't mm. like the media and the, the limelight, and they actually go quite a, a long way out of their way to get out of that limelight. That's something else that's sort of typical of those ultra high net worth individuals.
1: You know, most of us who just battle away in business and, you know, bring business through the door and try and grow a little bit and, you know, might do okay for ourselves, but we're not in that stratospheric level and we're not in that in that area where we meet a lot of these people. Would someone like me be surprised to learn just how many of those high net individuals there are out there who who aren't? They don't have a profile. You don't know who they are, but they've done really well for themselves.
0: Absolutely. And I look at the BRW Rich List and go, they've got really no idea. Um, there's actually a lot more people with a lot more money than that's ever on one
1: of those lists. Really? They just hide it well. Yeah.
0: Hey? And one of the people that I, I worked with, um, you'd see him going down the street and he'd be in a pair of tracksuit pants and a T-shirt with headphones on yeah. and riding his scooter and he was in his 40s. You know, you'd think he's just a bit of a bogan and, you know, (laughs) and things. And uh, and he was probably the most down-to-earth person in that sort of group that I ever worked with. Wow.
1: Incognito. Fantastic. All right. Well, hopefully this podcast and the information you're going to share and the advice you're about to give us, Stephen, will turn some of our listeners into people exactly like that, some low-profile, incognito people who know how to say no, rich, successful business owners. We can only hope. All right, lay it down for us, Stephen. Lay it down all in one go, and then we'll work through them individually. What are those top five things that we all need to make sure we have organized, shiny in our business so that we can flourish? What are they? Okay. So
0: the first thing I I think, and it's apt because this is towards the start of the year, is that to get rid of all the excuses that you have about your business. Things like, you know, the economy is really bad or retail sales are in the doldrums or exchange rates really high. Get rid of all of those excuses because they're just excuses. They're symptoms and not the reasons why businesses don't do well. And really the main reasons that people uh, don't do well in business is they're working in the business, not on the business. And what I mean by that is you can be a really great technician, you can be a really good web designer or a really good hairdresser or a plumber or, or whatever, and you can still go out of business. And that's not saying anything about how good you are at being an electrician or a plumber or a hairdresser or a web designer. It's me it shows that you just really don't know how to run a business.
1: All right. Well, we're going to come back and talk about that very point in a minute. All right. That's number one. So uh, we'll run through all five, and then we'll come back to them. So number one is get rid of the excuses What's number two? I think planning is
0: really important. You've know, you had your summer holiday, and I bet you didn't just turn up to the airport without a plan about what you're going to do on your holiday. You actually have a plan, and and you work to it. And big businesses have a plan, and they have a plan for a reason. It's the way that they make decisions and and drive the business going forward. But most small businesses, and even a lot of medium-sized businesses, don't have a plan and mm. I think a lot of that is a little bit of a fear because they go, well, what happens if I don't meet my targets and my plan? And and, and that. And the reality is I don't think anyone's ever asked me what my business plan is and no one really cares. It's my plan. So your plan and, yeah. what, and what what your idea of success is is your thing. But the whole process about doing a plan is actually the most important part. It's the bit that you're starting analysing and thinking about your business and what works, what doesn't work, what you can do differently. That's the important bit about having a plan.
1: All right. Great. Excellent. We'll come back to that. What's number three? Oh, this is probably my favourite one is
0: systemise your business. You can systemise anything in your business from how you open a letter to how you give a quote to how you do anything. And that does a couple of really good things for you. It makes you, again, look at your business, but it also, it's a bit like recording a a song, like, say, Taylor Swift records a song. What it means for her is that the song gets played the same way every single time it gets played, and it can be played multiple times at the same time, and she picks up a royalty every time it's played. So with a business, if you systemize your business, it means that someone else can come along and do the things that you need done in the way that you want them done and as if you were doing them yourself. And that means that you can oh, actually have a bit of a holiday you know, or focus on your business again.
1: Yeah, right. That, that, that Taylor Swift example, that's the ultimate systemization, isn't it? Just yeah. lay it down once, get it right, and then bring yep. in the royalties every time it's played. All right, what's number four?
0: Number four, I think, would be marketing. I think a lot of people are now still in the – old way of doing marketing, a seller-centric marketing. So think of if we were having a conversation and someone just butted in and asked you a question about something completely different than what you're talking about, that's a bit like yeah. what a marketing head was in the past. You'd be watching TV yeah, like an and, TV. and mm-hmm. something would come in that you're not really interested in and it was a shotgun approach. Nowadays that's yeah. flipped on its yeah. head. So it's a buyer-centric marketing. And so you need to start thinking about who your customer is. And I tell people to actually build personas and actually make them like real people. And I think of the UE ad on TV, the insurance, where the guy's sitting in the car and saying, this is Jane and she's driving to the zoo and you know she only drives one yeah. day a week. And they make it about a real person. And then you target yeah, your, right. your marketing to that person. So knowing who your customer is and targeting and how you inform them and provide information to them about what's important to them, not what's important to you. Um, And that's really quite key with marketing.
1: All right. And and lucky
0: last. Lucky last is understanding your numbers. And I know that, you know, when you start saying that you need to understand the financials that most people sort of run for the hills, they, you know, it's like pulling teeth to them. Or fall asleep. um, Yeah. Thinking about numbers. But, you know there's only really 10 numbers that you need to think about and um, they're all easy and they're all things that anyone can do. It just takes you know a little bit of understanding, a little bit of practice, something you could do in half an hour. But it's really important because it tells you quite so much about your profitability and and I think a lot of people defer to their bookkeeper or their accountant, but mm. the reality is they yeah. only see them once every three months, it may be. And then it's only at best time and it's only, you know, two months after the numbers actually generated and, you know, so you could be five months old, the, the information before you actually get it. So there's some key numbers that, you know, if you have this information on hand and you can, you can look at it whenever you need to, then you can make decisions on a timely basis. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization.
1: All right, that is a good one. All right, well, let's let's go back to the top of the list and, and talk about each of these in a little more detail. Stephen, the first one was to get rid of excuses. And you mentioned that concept there of, the, the excuses that most people make about their business failing or, or, or maybe not even going into business are not so much reasons, but they're symptoms. Can you explain to us the difference there?
0: Well, the, the, the symptom of you not being able to or having the skills or be having someone that has the skills to run your business the way it needs to be run and understanding how to run a business. So, for instance, if you were say that retail sales are, are, are really bad, that doesn't mean that you can't make money in a, in a time when there's, uh, you know, as an economy we have low retail sales. But you know, you need to understand what how you're going to get further sales. What you know, you need to understand your value proposition. Your, your how you can price differently, a whole range of different things. So that the retail sales in a doldrums is just the symptom of you don't understand what your value proposition is and how to price and how to market and do the other things about running your business well.
1: Because I, I read in your book somewhere that you said, sure, there, there are external factors. And I love the little anecdote that it's not the water around a ship that sinks it. It's the water that gets into the ship yep. that sinks it. And that's so true. You know, There are environmental factors that you and I can do nothing about. A, a global economic crisis, for example, but as you say in your book, there is no global economic crisis that has wiped out 100% of businesses and 100% of industries. Some of them are surviving. And what is it that you can do to be one of the survivors, no matter the environmental conditions? Yeah.
0: And if you just say, you know, there's water coming into my ship, if that was your ship, you'd be looking at a way to plug the hole, wouldn't you? So, and that's what I say about mm. your business, you know. If that's having an impact, then have you think about how to fix it. Don't just say, Oh well, the water's going to come in, and I'm going to sink.
1: So, what is it at the moment, Stephen? Say so we we all see retail is hurting. Every time I go to uh, Indrapilly is my local big shopping centre here in Brisbane. You know, it's the big one with the Meyer mm. and the DJs and the everything else. Every time I go there, they're having a red hot sale in every store that I walk past. So, retail is hurting. We see the numbers about. What Australians are spending in retail is on the decline. Actually, it might be recovering a little bit, but it's been on a downward trend for a number of years now. If I'm a retailer and I am just one of those many stores there at Indrippily Shopping Centre, I know that the environmental factors are against me, but what can I do differently? What are the things that I can do to make sure I'm on the one ship that doesn't get filled with water?
0: Well, I go back to the point that you need to get the business skills rather than just accepting that that's the, the case it's going to be. So have a look at how you, you're marketing. Is it a seller-centric marketing or a buyer-centric marketing? What's your value proposition for your product? People buy on emotions, not necessarily on price. So how do I engage with my customers so that price and is not part of the equation. They're looking for the relationship and the value and and what they get from buying your product or service. I could talk about economics, um, you know, and I'd say that probably the you know the reason why retailers in a bit of a doldrum is actually because of low wage growth. And so there's things that businesses can do at the moment. You know, businesses are quite optimistic, but consumers aren't, and that's unusual in an an economy. And that's basically because of wage growth. So therefore, you need to think about what your target market is and your customers and understand that Mm. wage growth is a concern for them. So how do I do something or or provide them with something that recognizes that they haven't got extra cash to spend?
1: Yeah. Or or maybe target the people who do, who are the people in my sector who, who do have disposable income at the moment. In all of that, and, and what I really enjoyed reading in your book is, is the basic concept that people get into business because they're good at doing something often. They get into they start a plumbing business because they're a good plumber. They start a, um, a web design business because they're good at web design, and the list goes on. But as you, you say there, to ensure the water is not coming into your ship, you've got to be good at running a business, not just good at doing web design, not just good at being a plumber. When you become a plumber, You grow your skills in being a plumber. But then when you turn that into a business, you've got to start growing your skills in running a business. In your experience, Stephen, how many of us out there are running a business based on the technical skill that we started off our career with, but we actually have no idea how to go about running a business?
0: This may sound astounding, but I'd say almost all small businesses are like that.
1: (laughs) Right. If I want my plumbing business to succeed, I'll just be a better plumber. And,
0: you know, why businesses fail is that, you know, the plumbers gets really busy and they are a good plumber, so they get more work and they're coming in the door, but they're mm. neglecting the other things they need to do for running a business and they're also neglecting their family. And between those two things, mm. the business implodes.
1: And your life spirals as yeah, well. that's right.
0: So, you know, and that's why the business falls over, you know. And... and I actually say, and I say this in my book too, is that it's almost like they're creating a job, and not a business. So I pose this sort of question to any small business: that if they had to stop working today for whatever reason, do they have a, a business to sell or not? And mm. you know, and if so, what's it worth? And if it's only worth the cash in the bank and the few tools that you have then you haven't actually grown a business. All you've done is create a job for that period of time.
1: Yeah. You know what? It's it's funny you should say that, Stephen, because the episode that came just before yours, our very first episode of 2017 was Kerry Bolton, who was all about preparing your business for sale and making sure that you're not just creating a job for yourself, but you're creating a business that is worth something. It has some value on the market, whether you decide to sell it or not, because you might decide not to sell it. But if you have the mindset that I'm not just creating a job for myself, I'm creating a business that is worth something. So I could sell it if I wanted to, but by preparing it that way and preparing it for sale, I'm actually creating a really fantastic business. And she talks about having your finances in order, understanding who your customers are, having a customer list, getting strong and documented systems, understanding your value proposition as you say, what makes me different to the rest? Why am I a different plumber to my competition? And of course, be aware of the timing. So it's funny you say that because that's a theme that we've just covered on the Team Guru podcast. And and that was a really great episode. If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that one. Hey, uh, Stephen, there's a real parallel with what you're talking about there running a business and, and your technical skill. And, and the other thing that we talk about on this show a lot, and that is being a leader in any organization. And most leaders are promoted within organizations because they were great at doing something. And now all of a sudden, they find themselves in charge of people who are doing that skill that they started off with. And they need to flip their mindset at some point and realize they're not just a good doer of something anymore. They're a leader of people who do that. You're not talking about leadership as such. You're talking about the same mindset switch though. I'm not a plumber anymore. I'm a business owner. And um, in your book, you do a a really great, very basic exercise where you challenge your reader to write down, all right, what would you pay someone who does the technical skill that is involved in your business? Say it's plumbing. What would you pay them per hour? Then what would you pay the manager of that person? What would you pay a senior executive in that business? And what would you pay the business owner? And you imagine, of course, people would talk in increasing amounts there. I would pay the, the owner of the business much more than everyone else in a in descending order. But of course, if the owner of the business is simply doing plumbing, then that's what they're worth. So if you're in your business and you're doing lots of plumbing, then you're worth what a plumber is worth per hour. But if you're acting like a business owner, then you can become worth what a business owner is worth.
0: And if you do that exercise, and you turn around and you say, "Well, you know, you'd be paying your plumber, uh, and I'm just making a number up here, say sixty thousand dollars a year, and you're actually paying yourself one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year," you'd have to ask yourself, "Well, yeah, why are you paying yourself one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year when someone else can do it for sixty
1: thousand dollars a year?" Yeah, great. That's true. That's a good point. All right, now let's move on, Stephen. That's a great one to get started tell us about planning. Now, as you said, we've just been on our summer holidays. We all did some planning for that, or at least in my case, my wonderful wife did the planning for that, and I just went along for the ride. But why would we plan for our holidays and not plan for our business? Again, some of us, we just get stuck in that mindset of delivering whatever service or goods we deliver, getting busy in the day-to-day and not thinking too far ahead. You mentioned that sometimes we don't plan because what if I don't hit my numbers? How embarrassing! So if I'm not going to hit my my goals or my objectives, then I just won't set any. That's a pretty funny kind of mindset. How common is that mindset? Oh, that's it's extraordinary common,
0: and also people just don't value uh, the plan. They think that you know I'll do a plan because the bank manager wants one and then stick it in a drawer and they never look
1: at it. So stick it in a drawer. It, it's actually the- Yeah, it's a living document, as you say in your book. It's It's got to stay alive and, and grow with you. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that it's not going to change. It just
0: means that it's a guide for how you want to, and you envisage seeing your, your business grow. And also, it keeps you accountable to, say, to yourself to say, am I doing what I set out to do? Am I in this business for the right reasons? Am I- Achieving the things, the the objectives of why I'm in this business, and if not, what am I going to do about it? And again, it's it's more of a proactive exercise than a reactive exercise. And yeah, Dwight Eisenhower's got a great saying: "No battle was ever won according to a plan, and no battle was ever won without one." Plans are useless, but plans is yeah. indispensable. So, and I, I love that saying. I think it's fantastic at, around plans. It's it sort of sums it all up in one
1: sentence. And as you say, it keeps you accountable. If you've written down what you plan to do, then then you hold yourself accountable. And, and incidentally, we, you know, as human beings, we, we so often think we have thought through something completely until we go and write it down. You've just written a book. I bet you had this experience. I, I have this experience if I try and write a blog, which I do too rarely. I think I've got something straight in my head, but it's not until I write it down and try and map it out that I actually realize I've still got some thinking to do with that concept because you cut yourself a bit of a break internally inside your head. You don't hold yourself up to too much scrutiny when you're just idly thinking, but when you've got to put it down on paper and make sense of it as a whole, it really does force you to work those ideas up into something a little more dynamic and and with a bit higher quality. Now, the other thing that is really important about a plan, I'm guessing, Stephen, is that great human phenomena of if we have articulated to ourselves a goal or a desire or a dream, then we're far more likely to identify opportunities as they pop up to us. If I have written my plan and made it very clear that I want my business to grow in this way and I want to do these few things, and then a few days later, an opportunity that's vaguely associated with that appears, then I'll recognize that opportunity and am far more likely to act on it because I have directly articulated what I want to do. Absolutely. If you think about saving a deposit for a house,
0: if you don't actually have a plan and a savings plan to save up that deposit, then the chances are you'll never save the deposit. So Mm. the same thing with a business plan. So you know, if you have a plan, you've got a, a lot better chance of actually achieving it than not having a plan.
1: If you just have this vague idea, hey, we're saving for a deposit. Yeah, we'll just put some money away. Then you're right. That just never gets you there. But, but those who have a, a really clear idea of how much they're going to put away, how often, when they're going to hit their objectives, they're the people who actually get there. Good point. We'll keep moving along. We're up to number three, and this is something that I'm really interested in. The concept of systematizing my business. The fact that you say you can systematize just about everything inside your business.
0: You can. So, um, and it doesn't have to be like you have to write it down and, 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 you know, blow by blow, step by step things on a piece of paper. There's a lot of other ways that you can systemize a business. So, for instance, you could, you know, use a microphone and dictate how you you want something done. Um, You can use things like Google Sites and things and put it up on there. You can do a recording of what you're doing on a screen on your computer. You know, they're all simple things. It doesn't have to be, you know, a handwritten war and peace, step by step, minutia by minutia, how you go about doing it. You know, you could just record someone answering the phone and say, that's how I want the phone answered every day and just put a recording up on an intranet site for you. So what it means is that it does a couple of things. So one is that apart from it makes you introspectively look at your business, it's also good for when you hire staff or replace staff because it's, it's already there. It's there for them. And it's easy for them to go and you know, listen to a recording about how you want the phone answered. And if they don't get it the first time, they can go back half an hour later and, and listen to it again. So, it, it also, from a staff acquisition or a training perspective, it actually shortens that downtime that instead of you having to spend so much time training staff, so it does that for you. I and mean, you mentioned before about exit strategies. The other thing about systemizing a business is it actually creates an asset for you. And I think that was the point with the exiting the business thing. If you have processes and systems in place, You actually create yourself an asset, something that someone can come and buy, and therefore replicate the way that you did it without requiring you in the business to do it. So it actually. So yeah,
1: that's a that's a really great point. So
0: there's a lot of reasons why you should systemize your business. So. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation.
1: Have you come across someone in your travels who has just blown you away with the the quality with which they have systematised, documented, packaged up the inner runnings of of the way their business works? I oh, know, not personally, no one is <laughs> it's that great at it.
0: I've heard an anecdote of a, a company in Sydney that was a plumbing business where it was a, a plumber and you know he was working 110 hour weeks and you know that was straining their marriage and all those sorts of things and he went about and systemized his business and this person now has quite a large plumbing business in Sydney and he works about three hours a week so he turns up on Mondays is the only time he goes into the, the office and meets with the foreman and discusses the jobs for the week. And then he basically reviews a report every evening that he gets emailed to him.
1: Beautiful. That's, uh, if that's the other end of systematizing your business, I'm in. Hey, one of the points that you made there, that there's, we've got so many tools at our fingertips now, just being able to pull out the iPhone and record something that this is how I want it done, to document it that way, that just makes it so accessible. Because if you do have it in your head that you've got to create this old school style, standard operating procedure manual that is 100 pages long and has got a million dot points and is in boring language, then that is the kind of job that you can just put off and put off and put off in your head. Because even though you know you've got to do it, it just seems so daunting and such an unpleasant task. But if you go about doing it in in ways like that with, with an iPhone or or any uh, any of the other ways that we can do with the technology we have at our fingertips, it makes it a much less daunting task and you can just get it done and you can get better at it and watch the benefits flow through your business and your staff and the kind of quality that you're delivering.
0: Yeah. And you might also look at it and go, actually, I thought I was doing a really good job at that. And when I look at it playing back, I think I can do better. So you can turn around and, and use it yeah, as a tool. Right. Improve. Uh, uh, yeah. whereas you just read a document, it it's just a document. It doesn't actually show you what that translates into. Whereas recording stuff and, and which is the method that I like using is a better way and a more proactive way of actually systemizing business.
1: All right. Well let's let's move on to number four. We've worked through the top three just to review. The first one was to get rid of the excuses, you know, they're symptoms, not reasons. And be good at running your business. Don't be good at doing the technical thing anymore that got you started. The second part is planning is really important. Don't just plan when you want to get a loan from the bank, but actually plan for the the way that you want your business to move, the direction you're heading, and don't put the plan in the drawer. Pull it out. It's a living document. It will grow and change with you. Keep it relevant and stick to it. Number three we just talked about is to systematize the things that you do, record them, create some standards, make improvements, train your staff, get things humming. And number four is, of course, marketing. And and when we went through them the first time, you told us that there's a real shift in the way we market, and we know that because we're all the target of marketing. There is the old way, the self-centric way, where I'm watching my favorite show on TV or I'm watching the cricket, and there's this, as you say, there's a narrative going on, and then all of a sudden it's interrupted with someone screaming in my face some information that I didn't ask for. That's the old style of marketing, and it's rapid fire or or random fire scattergun approach because they're not targeting it to anyone. They just want anyone who happens to be watching the cricket that day to see it, so their their conversion rate must be minuscule. You're talking about the buyer-centric marketing, and that's the way that we can target our message to the people who are most likely to buy our products. Tell us some more about what we need to do differently with marketing. So, as
0: you said, it's a big shift. So, it's about building trust and providing information that the customer values and understanding where they are on their buying journey. So, are they just thinking about it? Are they comparing different propositions? Are they ready to? you know, look at it in detail or they're ready to actually buy something. So there's different stages on their buying journey and then how to help them along that journey with different information that you might want to give them. I put an example in my book about the building supply companies, you know, your Bunnings and your Mitre 10s and things. And if you go onto their website, there's a whole pile of DIY videos.
1: Now that, mm, Content okay, marketing.
0: And that. What that is doing is actually just providing someone that's interested in how to pour concrete information about how to pour concrete and because that's yeah. the stage that they're at. They're looking thinking about putting a new path down. They want to understand what it takes and what's involved in doing it. So they put up on their website just a video about how to pour concrete. Now, they're not selling you anything at that stage. They're just providing you information. But that gets you engaged with them and you, they, you start connecting with that company. And so when you're at the next stage where you need to go and buy the ready mix concrete, you go back to their website and you go and have a look for the products on their website and then you go and buy the products. So it's about understanding where someone may be and providing information that's appropriate for their stage on that buying journey.
1: Hey, by the way, I did a um, an episode way back in episode number 27 All about content marketing. Uh, Jeff Herman came on and told us all about it. So if you want to think more about content marketing, go and have a listen to number 27, The Age of Content Marketing. It's great stuff. But just while we're on it here, Stephen, one of the things that Jeff told me way back then was I asked him who should be doing content marketing. And he said everyone should be doing content marketing because everyone has got a message to send. And it's not about, hey, buy my product, buy my product, buy my product. It's about, giving someone the skills or, or showcasing your skills to people who might buy your product. For example, Bunnings, as you said before, not only do they do those videos, they also, I've noticed, they have free classes down there on Saturday and Sunday mornings to teach you how to tile. What a great skill to learn. And they've got the experts there who can teach you to do that. But of course, if you're wanting to learn how to tile, you're probably wanting to tile your bathroom. And if you want to tile your bathroom, chances are you've got to buy a couple of thousand tiles. So if they're going to teach you how to tile, then you're probably going to buy tiles from them. It's such a basic concept, but it's a real stretch for some business owners to imagine how that can apply to their business. How can it apply to all businesses?
0: I think you, you've just said it yourself, David. you know, is, you just got to look at what your customer, potential customer is going to look like. And then think about where they are on that buying journey. And then what information do they need to be provided at that stage? And how can I build some trust so that I become the expert and uh, that they can refer to and get with that information on that buying journey? So even service providers can do that as well. So for instance, I can come along and say, well, here goes some templates for business plans I'm not selling you a business plan, but you may be coming along thinking, I need to know how to get do a business plan so I can provide that. It costs me nothing. And then when you want to know a little bit more, I can say, well, you know, these are the 10 numbers that you need to think about. In it, and these are the, you know, you need to think about marketing, you need to think about planning, you need to think about all these different things. And you go, okay, well, that's great. And then when you actually need to sit down and ask someone a question or, or you know, put it together and you want someone to have a look at it, Chance you are gonna, well, hopefully, come and see
1: me. Anyway. That's just exactly right. You know, I had that exact experience, Stephen. I uh, I had a plumbing issue, and I called a plumber, a, a local guy, and and I told him what my issue was, and he said, "Mate, you can probably fix that yourself in about five minutes." And he was on the phone, driving in the car, and he talked me through fixing this myself in five minutes. And he was right. It was pretty easy. I have zero skills, but I could do it. It was something to do. I, I, I can't remember, inexplicable to me, but he talked me through it. And guess who I went to the next time I genuinely needed a plumber? Absolutely that guy. And he didn't do some content marketing. That was a bit of one-on-one coaching that he gave me, but he could easily have, say, put out a video on how to do that really small job, put it on YouTube. And I could have... Looked that up and re- seen that you know he taught me that skill and he was a local guy. Who am I going to go to next? I mean, I already like the guy because of what that information that he gave me. So that's great stuff, and it just takes a little bit of imagination as to how that can apply in, yeah. in our own business. Yeah, and
0: even with their plumber, another uh, another thing that he, he may have done to make him memorable and it's a marketing thing is after he's come and fixed your, your tap, when he goes to give you the invoice. He also leaves a box of chocolates as he walks out the door. So what do you think, you you know, it costs you a couple of dollars for a box of chocolates, but what's that going to do? You're going to know, hey, I'm going to get that plumber because he drops a box of chocolates off. And when you're down at the schoolyard, we're talking to the other parents, what are you going to say? I got that plumber. He he drops a box of chocolates off,
1: you know? Yeah, that's right. It's the old classic. The barber that we take our boys to, he gives um, lollipops at the end of their haircut. They love getting a haircut. They they you know my my older boy he he asks to go and have a haircut because at the end of it for him he gets a lollipop. Probably drifting outside of content marketing with that one, but it's pretty simple. All right, we're going to hit the very last one, Stephen. Forgive me if I fall asleep because I'm one of those typical people who does not want to hear about the numbers, but you say I've got to understand my numbers.
0: Yeah, you you really do. I had a a client that I went to see and and I offer it a morning or an afternoon for no cost and just come and talk to you about your business. And I ask some pretty basic questions and I said to this person, what's your gross profit? And his answer was, what is gross profit? And I knew straight away that he was in trouble. <laughs> you know? I even know that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and that's why I say it's not, yeah. it's not a very hard number to understand. You know, it's – Sales less costs, you know. There goes your gross profit. So it's not like it, it's it's technically hard or anything like that. But it goes a little bit further than that and go. Well, I know what my gross profit is, but I the next step is if I told you ten different numbers that you need to be able to computate, it's then saying, well, what do they mean? And then you know, looking at a trend rather than the actual numbers is the, probably the key with the the numbers. So. Being able to do, get them uh, accessibly and quickly and on uh, on time, and a timely basis is important. But also then being able to compare them, say to last month versus this month, or to a benchmark against someone else in the same industry, those sort of things is the, sort of the next step in that. But again, that it's not Stephen, too too hard.
1: If I'm a service provider, right, and and I. I know that I'm charging for my service as much as I can charge. And that's one of the other things you cover in your book, how to price yourself. And that's a a whole nother discussion. But then the ultimate price is, of course, what a customer is willing to pay. You don't want to charge yourself so low that you're leaving money on the table, but you don't want to be too expensive or people won't buy you. So you've got to find that sweet spot. and, And you explain that very nicely in your book. But let's say I'm a service provider, which I am. And I'm very comfortable with my daily rate or if I'm a plumber, my hourly rate or however it is I charge myself out at. Why do I need to know my numbers? I know that as a service provider, I am charging myself as much as I can charge. People are paying their bills. When I send an invoice, they pay it on time. What other numbers do I need to know?
0: Well, you need to also benchmark yourself and say, hey, am I leaving some money behind? So you know, are you undercharging yourself? Is what your actual gross profit, you know, are the, are the costs to do this too high? I've, I have went and did a turnaround for a big steel company and their biggest customer had, um, when I ran some basic numbers for them, it was their biggest customer. They had credit terms of 90 days from end of month. And then when I did a little bit further analysis and looked at the profit margin, they were making a 2% return on that. And the cost of funding that ninety-day term was at that time was just before the GFC was around eight percent. So even though they thought it was the, their biggest customer and their most profitable customer, because they were um, effectively lending them money for ninety days, they, you know it was costing them eight percent to lend them the money to make two percent return. You know, so actually losing money. So understanding your numbers, just because it, you know the the first number looks okay. I'm making it, you know, the headline, I'm making money. Great. But there's some other things that you need to think about and say, am I actually making money? Am I actually, is it worthwhile me doing that? Or is there better ways that I can spend my time and better things that I can be devoting my energy to?
1: Stephen, you you talked about the fact that there are 10 numbers that we should know what they mean. And uh, we're not going to go into them now because we haven't got that time. And I've got to admit, though, when I read your book, a bunch of those numbers, I had no idea what they were. A few of them I did. I thought, yep, I know what that is. And I was sort of right. A couple of them I had never heard of. And a few of them I recognized, but was totally wrong with what I thought they were. So that is one that for sure, if if your interest has been peaked and you've just got that feeling, oh gee, I don't know enough about the numbers in my business. And there's so many moving parts, maybe I should get a handle on it. Then that's something you need to grab Stephen's book and have a read through that because it's really important stuff. All right, one last question before we sign off, Stephen. It's the beginning of the year. I'm full of good intentions. I want to get my business pumping this year. How excited should I get? How much growth or how much improvement can I put into my business this year? If I start off with all the right intentions, I listen to your advice, I work really hard, and I do smart things. Can I see my business just turn around enormously in one year or is it a much slower progress than that? What can I look forward to in 2018?
0: David, that's sort of a bit of an open-ended question in the sense that it depends on the business, it depends on the person, it depends on the combination of the business and the person. So I can't say, you know, if you follow all these five things, then your business is going to grow 10%. I just can't do that. But what I can say is if you don't do it, then we might not be having a conversation with you in a year's time.
1: Yeah, nah, That's that's more the point than, hey, if you don't do those things, it could be your ship that's filling with water. Stephen Barnes, look, I really appreciate the free consultation. You are a very kind consultant. Thank you so much for coming on the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you,
0: David. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
1: And that was Stephen Barnes. His top five concepts were terrific. If you're anything like me, as you listen to him speak, you were thinking all about the obvious things that you can whip into shape to improve efficiency, increase profits, and give you some of the freedom that you crave in your life. His top five were, number one, get rid of the excuses. They're symptoms of bad business practices rather than real reasons for failure. Stop being a technical doer and start acting like a real business owner. Number two is plan. Create a plan, a realistic, aspirational, meaningful plan and then work towards it. Don't stick it in the depths of your computer filing system and forget about it. Pull it out and let it guide you day to day and let it grow with your business. Number three is to systematize. Stephen says that just about everything in your business can be systematized. It improves quality and efficiency. It helps you onboard new staff. It helps you to ensure that the standards you expect are the standards that your business delivers. And number four, think about your marketing. Are you still in the old world of self-centric marketing, screaming in the face of people who don't want to hear from you? Or are you customer-centric, targeting the right people with marketing that understands where they are in the buying process? And number five, finally, understand your numbers. It's hard and often a bit boring, but you have to know what your numbers are really telling you about the way your business operates. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Stephen on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission, to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.